I'm going to read the first 10 verses in uh, the book of Ezra. <coughs> chapter 7, first 10 verses, chapter 7. And you will see a man ordained by God to preach God's word to God's people. And it's a model for all preaching. All preachers, okay? Uh, then I'll explain myself. Are we ready? Verse 1. Forgive me if I mispronounce most of the names. Any Hebrew scholars here? Praise God. All right. Just for the people listening, we're in Brooklyn, New York. We make a lot of mistakes of grammar here, pronunciation. So, especially me. That's right. Praise God. Now, after this, in the reign of... Already I failed. Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Zariah, son of Azariah, son of Helkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zodak, son of Atub, son of Amira, son of Azira, son of Merioth, son of Zariah, son of Uzzah, son of Bukai, son of Abushia, son of Phineas, son of Elazar, and this is what it's all about, the son of Aaron, the chief priest, okay? That's the point of the whole genealogy. The preacher we're going to find out about Ezra is a direct descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother, who was the chief priest. So that's why we just went through that genealogy, and that's why all genealogies are there. They're there to point us to something, okay? So always remember that when you're reading some of these seemingly boring genealogies in the Bible, they do have their point. Okay, let's go. Verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. Can you say skilled in the law of Moses? That the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked. For the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Exerces the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests, and the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra has set his heart to study the Lord, Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes. And rules in Israel. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us, Father God, as a congregation, as ministers. Bless Pastor John and myself and everybody else who graces this pulpit to be men who are skilled in the Word of God. Nothing less than a skilled minister in the Word will do for you, God. Let everyone know in this room they should have zero tolerance towards any preacher who's less than skilled in the word of God. Let no impostors ever preach the word here, Father God, but only those who are called and anointed by your spirit, Father God, who have studied to show themselves approved, for you, God, are the people's shepherd. Let the word of God richly indwell this ministry, we ask God. Breathe upon the text in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I call out, I need a tissue. This could be dangerous. 
Could someone have a tissue, please? Thank you. What's this? Fancy Kleenex over here. Wow. Everybody's struggling with some kind of cold or sniffles. All right. My objective today for the next month or so is to showcase the important role of preaching God's word. Settle for nothing less. I want every ear to listen. I will call out myself and Pastor John and anybody else. We are called to minister nothing but God's word. Not our opinions, not our thoughts, not our feelings. Does anybody need any tissues? Thank you, Brother Joe. Praise God. And also to look at God's people's part. You have a role in this. You have a role in this. The book of Ezra, as I go through some of the dynamics, they're going to shock you. Along with the rest of the Bible as I go through this over the next month or two. To look at some of the dynamics that go hand in hand with faithful preaching and faithful listening. We have to speak on some of these dynamics that are responsibilities of God's people. Not just God's ministers to faithfully preach the word and to study to show themselves approved. But how God's people and how they are to approach the sacred practice of listening to God's word. Who loves a boring sermon? Who wants to go listen to a boring lecture that has no passion, does not touch the heart, that you're thinking about food, you're thinking about everything else but the word? I don't want that. But let me tell you something else. I don't want to come up here and see people sleeping in the pulpits. Or see people sleeping and snoring away. Why, after 10 or 15 hours of hard work and studying the Word of God, people are coming to church and they barely don't even want to be here. Is that fair to the preacher? Is it fair to the congregation for a preacher to throw a message together in the last hour and then come feed you? No. A minister has to be sold out for God and His Word and the congregation has to know how to come on Sabbath day, not distracted by everything else, barely getting to the church, and then falling asleep while the word of God is being preached. Me and John go home, we go, who's snoring today? <laughs> I know everybody who falls asleep, so don't try. I know everybody's like this now. Everybody's like, everybody's like, not me, Pastor. We know everybody. We see everything up here. And we're not talking about being legalistic. Let me explain what I'm talking about here. These two elements of the preacher and the congregation go hand in hand. And if we want the best of God, and what genuine believer doesn't want the best of God? Can you stand up here and tell me you don't want the best of God? As a matter of fact, because of the Holy Spirit in you, you are expecting the best of God. Then these two elements must be present in every Christian worship service. Every time the congregation comes together, the minister should be filled with prayer, praise, and the practice of the word of God. When me and John preach, 
understand something. When we're preparing during the week or two weeks, whatever we're putting into a sermon, when I come up here, I don't think, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you need to hear what I'm going to say. Because it's not me, it's the text. It's God's word. I don't come up here saying, oh, I'm the one who's going to like it. I could care less where your life is right now. I love you all, you know that. But I know there are 66 books in the Bible. There's 1,187 chapters. And no matter where we go in that book, you need to hear it. Your life depends on every word of God. That's not me, that's Jesus. Satan lost one battle. And that's the Jesus Christ. Christ took him down with four verses of scripture. Because man lives on what? Does not live on just bread alone, but every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. We don't come here saying, oh, you know, we have our ten verses, you know, our, our, our favorite half of Bible, and we preach that. That's what some preachers do. They got their favorite verses of scripture, they got a favorite text, and basically it's always the same message. But a different text. No. It is our job to understand every verse of scripture. It's my job. It's John's job. And everybody who steps in this pulpit, we know they're studied, learned, and skilled men. Because they're called to the task. Please listen to me. Don't fall asleep. But as bad, as, as important as that is, please understand something, congregation. I want to ask you something. Did anybody have a tough week this week? Was it challenging? Anybody have a challenging week? Come on, let's be real. Did everybody live perfectly? No. Understand something. Do you ever want to hear a boring sermon? This is how you don't hear a boring sermon. When you come to church... You make it your worship to God to realize what's ever being said in that pulpit, you have to hear. There is never one sermon, if it's faithfully preached from the word of God by a faithful minister, you can say that was not for me. That is an absolute impossibility. That is arrogance and it's pride in the face of God. You and I need to hear every word ever preached. If it is faithful, I need to hear it. My life and soul depend on it. If Jesus depended on every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God, if the Son of God studied every word that proceeded and he lived, how much more you and I? But congregations come and, you know, then people are coming in and I'm rebuking the church. I hope you understand that. I'm the pastor, I'm allowed. But I do it in love. When I say practice the worship, worship doesn't start when we come in through the door. Worship starts as soon as you wake up in the morning. Everything we do is worship to God. But specifically on Sabbath, specifically on the days we come to church, you've got to leave distractions at home. You've got to be prayed up when you're coming down here. And part of that prayer has to be God... I'm distracted today. I got life is going on, but I'm going to worship. The, I'm going to worship you today, God. I need to hear the word of God. Whatever's being said by this faithful ministry, I need to hear what you are saying to me. 
How many people say that before you come to church? A couple of hands, a couple of faithful hands. I'm going to take my time on this. It is not John's job or my job or any minister's job to try to preach the gospel and and do magic tricks on the side over here to keep you occupied. You need to come in as those who have been born of the Spirit of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you need to come in saying, I need to worship God. I need to hear what faithful men are going to say today through the Word of God. And to sit here as a congregation that is astute and willing and desirous to know what God is speaking to them. What genuine truth is going gonna, is gonna to touch my soul today? Not every sermon is going to be spot on for the problems you have in your life. It's not always going to be that way. But every truth is needed to grow up and be the, man, the Christian man and Christian woman God has designed us to be. Amen? So I just want to make that so that you're here, that don't treat church as something you rush to and and try to get to and get it over with. No, you won't hear God's word. You come to church saying, God, no, forgive me. When John and I are preparing messages, you don't see that we're on our hands and knees praying to God. And that we're... First of all, the message has to be in our own heart. Amen? Amen. But then I'm thinking to the congregation. I'm thinking certain people. And we're praying for you guys all the time. We're praying and we're praying and we're praying. And we soak the sermon in prayer and in tears many times. And we'll get into this as the month goes on. I'll show you faithful men from the scripture how they prepared their lessons. But at the same time, the congregation should be door to week saying, Bless the pastor. Bless sonship, bless sonship this week, Father. I know it's only Tuesday, but I'm asking you to bless their studies this week. I'm asking you to bless Pastor John or Pastor Brian, who's ever preaching. I'm asking you to bless them, that they have their finger on the pulse of this culture. And they have an understanding of the Word of God. And they're going to bring something out fresh and alive that my soul needs to hear. That's your job. I'll answer you this. Have you ever prayed for the ministry during the week? For those who haven't, that's an eye-opening thing. That's okay. We're here to teach you. Think about it. That's your job. My job is to pray and prepare for you. Your job is to pray for us. That we get it right. We don't tinker with the word of God. The apostle Paul says, we're not like many. Who peddle the word of God. Peddle the word of God for profit. Me and John go home. We listen to some people's sermon. I said, these people have no fear of God. They say whatever they want. And just because people are clapping. God's not happy. And they got to stand before almighty God. And give an account of what they did to his word. That's defamation of character. We cannot add one thing to the word of God or take away. It's defamation of character. Could you imagine telling your child you have to be home at 8 o'clock, but the other kids can go home at 10 o'clock? So the other kids tell your kid, no, your father really means 10, not 8. 
They're putting words in your mouth. And that's how the word of God is. I can't put words in God's mouth and say this is the word of the Lord. It takes everything. Fear and trembling we get up here before we start to speak. Accept nothing from the minister but the word of God studied, prayed skillfully. Hold every minister accountable for what they say. How they study to show themselves approved. That is your job. It is your right to demand nothing but faithfulness to the text. And vice versa. Take it upon yourself to be responsible to pray for the ministers to study to show themselves approved. No more, so, no more boring sermons and no more snoring saints, okay? Can you say that with me? No more boring sermons and no more snoring saints. Everybody's on their best behavior today, John. Listen, it's not about excitement. It's about nutritional faithfulness. It's not about a charismatic man getting up here and preaching and holding your attention with empty calories. It is about nutritional, faithful preaching. Give me what the word of God says. That's all you need. You don't need my commentary. You don't need my opinions. You want to know what Moses said. You want to know what Ezra said. You want to know what Jesus Christ said. You want to know what the Apostle Paul said and meant. And that takes skill. We want you guys to be an informed congregation. That's what we want. We want you to be an informed congregation. And please, this has nothing to do with education. <coughs> nothing. I never made it past 8th grade. That's it. I left 8th grade with a 6th grade reading level. Didn't read a book until I got saved at 30 years old. At all. So no one in this congregation can say, well, I'm not a good reader. That's absurd. It's absurd. There's not a man and a woman generally speaking, in America that cannot learn the word of God. Not one person. If you have graduated high school, you can, if you graduated eighth grade, you can learn the word of God. Let's get that right. Amen? We want you to be astute in the word of God to the best you can. How many people have read the New Testament more than once? Okay, let me, let me explain something to you. If you were to read the New Testament three chapters a day, at the end of the year, you read the New Testament three times. It's 260 chapters. You read a little more than three times, you read it three times in a year. You read three chapters a day. I want this congregation to know the New Testament. You start tomorrow. Three chapters a day. At the end of the year, you'll have read the New Testament three times. 
The first five books of Moses, that's the first five books of the Old Testament. You should know it. Because the whole Bible is built up on the first five chapters of the Old Testament. It's the Magna Carta of our faith. It's like the Constitution. All law today should be done according to the Constitution of the United States. All biblical preaching is rooted in the first five chapters of the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, a chapter a day, the first five books, you'd go through it two and a half times. That's four chapters of the Bible a day. That's all. I'm going to challenge you this year. To read one chapter in the Old Testament, the first five books, and three chapters in the New Testament. Start with Matthew and just keep on reading. Four chapters take about 25 minutes to about 40 minutes of your time. If you can't give that to God, then you're missing something in your life of faith. Read. More can be said about this. But here's the point. The more you know, the more you can love. The more you understand, the more joy you have in your heart. When all of a sudden what you've been reading is coming out in someone's preaching, what you're reading is coming out in what you're singing, there's a special joy that takes place. You're like, I just read that. Oh, that's what that means. I've read it three times this year. Now I know what it means. When John's preaching, or I'm preaching, I'm mentioning Old Testament figures. and new t- You say, oh, I read that. I know that. I, you, there's a reference. And let me explain one thing I can tell you right now. Do you know why people don't read the Bible who call themselves Christians? Because Satan doesn't want you to. Amen. It's not because you're tired. It's because Satan does not want you being set free by the truth of God. In our text today that we just read, historically, the circa is about 538 B.C. to around 440 B.C. It spans about 80 years. God made certain promises to the nation of Israel that are found in the first five chapters of the Old Testament, specifically the book of Deuteronomy, specifically, precisely, Deuteronomy 28. That if they did not obey these first five books of Moses, called the law, then eventually they would be torn away from their own land, have to serve other kings and other gods. Well, this finally happened in 720 BC. And over the next 150 years, Israel, the nation, slowly but surely was uprooted and dispersed by other conquering nations. Till they ceased to be any nation at all. They had no land. They had no king. They had no temple. 
Now, to live 2,000 years ago, or 3,000, this is about 3,500 years ago, to live, 3,000 years ago, to live without a king, without a nation, and without a temple, was to have no God. Orphans. But they did not obey Deuteronomy 28. They did not follow, and over 150 years, God disciplined them until they, they ceased to be a real nation in their own land with their own king and their own temple. They've been being disciplined by the Lord for breaking their end of the agreement. God was slowly but surely teaching them the right way, being patient with them, and they disobeyed and disobeyed and disobeyed until God finally had to come and discipline them. But God in his mercy promised to bring them back after 70 years. In the Bible, this is called the exile. They're coming back from the exile. It's a second exodus. And this is what he did under the ministry of a man named Zarel Babal. That was around 538 B.C. If you were to read the first six chapters of Ezra, we only read the first ten verses of chapter seven. The first six chapters are all about Zerubbabel and the restoration that God began to do. This man, Zerubbabel, was called to restore the altar that was torn down. He was called to restore the temple. And he did a good job. I know you're bored stiff, aren't you? But guess what he did not do? He didn't restore the word of God, nor the people yet. The people were still living in disobedience. And now God in mercy is sending them Ezra, the priest, skilled in the law to bring restoration to their souls. This is what Ezra the priest was called upon to do. And as we get into it, he does it very well. And this is what God has done in the New Testament times. Beginning with the first disciples down to us today. Do you think God is concerned about a temple made by the hands of men? Do you think God's concerned about stained glass? Or, 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 or a cross like this? Or, or, or an altar? The real temple is Jesus Christ. You think he's caring about the sacrifice of bulls and goats? The real sacrifice is he's the real temple. He's the real sacrifice. And he's the real priest. God restore first the temple where men worshiped the one true God. That's Jesus Christ. Then he restores the sacrifices that Jesus himself did. Then he brings sinners to this living temple. He brings sinners under the guidance of this living sacrifice. And he saves us. But then he wants us to sit under skillful teaching. To be washed and changed. God doesn't wait for you to get your act together. He saves us in our sin. Our filthy sin. He opens up his arms and he says, come to the temple. But I'm unclean. Come anyway. Come to the altar. I'm unclean. Come anyway. Bring a sacrifice. I don't have one. I'll supply him for you. 
Come and get healed. Come and be justified. Come and get right for nothing. Come, buy, eat, drink for free. Come to Jesus. And then he washes you. He forgives and saves first. Are you with me? He doesn't wait for you to get good. He loves you dirty. He forgives and saves just as you are. And then the process of change begins. And that's where skillful preaching of the word of God comes in. Nothing less than skillful preaching of the word of God will do. If there's any hope and any chance of living the life that God wants us to live, it has to be done under the ministry of the word of God. Make no mistake. Would you bring your children to any doctor? Someone throws a shingle out. Doctor slash palm reader. Are you going to bring your children to them? Are you going to invest your money to anybody who says, give it to me, I can invest it and make it 50%? Then why do you treat your soul that way? Why do you listen to just anybody because they say the name of Jesus? Amen. Uh-uh. Be an educated consumer. You're going to be a Christian? You hold people that preach the word of God accountable to what they're saying. Don't ever let a preacher dismiss you because you question them about their theology. If they don't like to be questioned, it's because they don't know what they're being asked. Sanctify them through your truth, Jesus says. Your word is truth. Please understand, we take this very serious. And personally, me and John are blessed pastors. As I get to speak, I, let me tell you what's going on. You know, most of these know I still work in the gym. You know why? God's never called me out of it. Simple as that. God wants me in the gym. I'm perfectly happy with that. And now, there's not a day that goes by that Brother Artie's not talking to me about the Word of God. Brother Joe, his son Phil, Sister Dora, my sister-in-law Kim. There is something happening and people are getting saved and I can walk around. And now John, and now Chrissy, and now what's happening? We sit there and people are working out and guess what? We're talking about Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Unashamed. Amen. We're, not, we're not like, what, Jesus? What did you read today? Yeah, I'm reading John chapter. Yeah, praise God. All the sinners are under the wrath of God. <laughs> Little Christian fun. The Calvinistic side of us. Inside joke. Okay. But please, I'm not even getting into the text. I I, want to introduce you to the seriousness of this. And hopefully you see just how serious it is. Let's go into our text. Ten verses. I'm just going to bring out three or four uh, certain things about Ezra the priest. And then we'll get into it, okay? 
Can we put that back up there? I want to read this again. Just these ten verses without all the names. Give me the names, okay? Start in verse 6. How does that sound? <laughs> verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. That the Lord, the God of Israel, had given him. And the king granted him all that he asked. For the hand of the Lord was upon him. I will start with that verse of scripture. The hand of the Lord was upon him. Understand something about any man that steps into a pulpit. Any man you call pastor. Any man you call teacher. You better make sure they're called by God to the pulpit. Nothing else will do. At all. Period. End of the story. Unless someone has been characterized by someone who walks with the Lord and is called to the task, don't listen. Because many preach and should not be preaching. And that's what the book of James says about those who want to be teachers of the Lord. Do you not listen to what the law says? Those who preach the law will be held more accountable. There are many other verses of scripture. A man needs to be handpicked by God for the ministry. Listen to me. Handpicked by God. No one takes the calling of pastoring or teaching upon themselves. The prophet says that many, actually Isaiah says that they preach your law, but they don't know me. There were many people in the time of the prophets that preached the law of God, but God says, they don't know me. They ran into the pulpit, but I never sent them. So it is today. There are many people proclaiming Christianity, proclaiming God, but they're not called into a pulpit. They might have good intentions, they might have head knowledge, but they're not called into the ministry. Ezra was handpicked and called into the ministry. Pastoral teaching, preaching, is about bringing restoration to the soul. This is no laughing matter. Me and John speak about it and pray about it all the time. This is serious business. You are God's people. You're not our property. You're not our piggy bank. You're not our servants. We're here to serve you. We're here to take from my own pocket and give to you. That's our job. You come first. We're last. This is no easy task of restoring a soul. It only becomes doable when the restorer is called by God himself. A lot of people preaching good intentions, but very little restoration going on. Ordination. You know what ordination means? You know what an ordination is? John's ordained. I'm ordained. That might not be. That might be a technical thing. But to be ordained, you have to have a congregation. You have to have a congregation that has fruit. And who does the ordination? The congregation. The congregation stands up and I know the fruit of their ministry. I'm part of it. 
You should be able to sit under a ministry for two months or two years and realize these people are called by God because it's changing my. That's how you know. Not because I say it. Not because John says it. Not because someone else says it. It's because you can look and say, look at the impact they've had on my life. I love God now, not sin. There's something changing in my life. How could this possibly be? All we use are words. We got the Bible, that's it. And prayer. No one takes this upon himself. If they do, it's dangerous. Two. It says he was skilled in the law of Moses. This word expresses, it's only used three times in the Old Testament. Skilled. Or, it means an artisan. It's used as an artist. Not just any artist, but a Rembrandt. Michelangelo. A Van Gogh. These are people that know their work. There are no other ambitions. This is their ambition. This is someone who stands head and shoulders over others in the same field. He has the know-how of what was written and why it was written. At any time, Ezra could quote the scriptures in its historical situation and give God's desire in it. It wasn't quoting a word. It wasn't quoting a passage. It was explaining the will of God within the text. Can you hear me? You don't need just to hear someone quote the Bible. You want to hear what God meant by that. This man was a walking biblical encyclopedia. He knew how to apply the word of God, not just quote it. This man was handpicked by God to bring restoration to the heart of the people who were back in Jerusalem. At the end, it was God's very words, not just Moses. And those skilled in God's word do not interject their own opinions or for their own agendas. When a preacher preaches, you should hear God, not themselves. You should be overwhelmed by the presence of God within the preaching of the text. You should know, say to yourself, he's talking to me. You ever get that? You ever hear a sermon? You're saying, this guy's talking to me. That's because someone is skilled in the word of God and is called by God to preach to God's people. That's why. Skilled. Every New Testament preacher should be called and skilled in their profession. The word also denotes time spent. He was skilled in it because he made it his first priority, not just to read, but to understand why it was given in the first place. To bring restoration to Israel. Please understand this.
there are certain times me and John will be blessed and someone will come back and say, I was going to a church, so on and so forth, and, you know, because I learned under you for two years or five years or ten years, and now they're living somewhere else, they could say, you know, something, this church isn't right, there's something wrong. You should be able to discern. You should be able to go to a church, close your eyes, and just listen. And by listening, I can tell you if God's in that place. By the music being sung, by the words, and by the preaching. In the New Testament, Paul told Timothy to study, to show yourself approved, being a workman, not ashamed of the scriptures. Knowing the difference. Discerning the word of God. That is his job. That is our job. A congregation needs to be protected by the preacher. Our job is to protect you. With the truth. Your souls are valuable. Number three. Listen to Ezra 7.10. Not just skilled and not just called. Listen to verse 10. We got it up there? Thank you. For Ezra has set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules to Israel. First and foremost, Ezra was skilled because he already set his heart on the word of God. This man was not dilly-dallying. All his passion and ambition went into the truth he studied. When a man is preaching the truth, he should be passionate about it because he's already set his heart upon it. And he's already set his heart upon it, not just to know it and not just to teach it, but to obey it himself. That's where passion comes in. Ezra set his heart to study the law and to do it. What a moving picture we have here. Let's not forget that this man was born in exile. He wasn't born in Jerusalem. He wasn't born in the holy city. He never saw a temple. He never saw an altar. He was there because of someone else's sin. He was in a land with false gods all around him in a false culture. Yet he still set his heart. He made it his duty to know the word of God, to know the God of Israel, to know the God of Jerusalem. Even though there was no nation, there was no temple, there was no priesthood, and there was no sacrificial system. This man did not care. He knew there was one true God, and he was found in the pages of scripture. It wasn't about feelings. First time I ever heard this text preached on was a friend of mine named John Paul. I shared about him. He got saved in a jail cell doing 20 years in jail. He was a walking encyclopedia. In Attica. Hard time. And he talked about the glorious moment he was saved in a cell. He felt like the, the, the light of God shone all around his eight by foot eight cell. Or eight by six, whatever it might be. 
And from that moment on, he set his heart to study the word of God. Ezra was a foreigner in another land. It wasn't comfortable. But yet he set his heart to know the word and do it. He didn't feel sorry for himself. Uh, Why do I have to do this for? There's no temple. There's no hope. Because within the word of God, he found out that one day, they're going to be called back to their own land. And God's going to restore it. He set his heart to know the one true God's will. He set his heart to leave no stone unturned. He loved what he learned because he loved the one it was written about, God. You can't love the word until you love the giver of the word. The more you learn, the more we love God. That's all it's about. It's not about head knowledge. This is what it means to have passion for God's word. Because they're passionate about God himself. Application preachers need to be passionate about the word of God. If passion is missing, something is wrong. Something's wrong. That doesn't mean yelling and screaming. Love shows itself in many different ways. Ezra loved God. He loved everything God loved, and that was the word. I can stop right there. But I'm not. It wasn't good enough for him to study. It says, and he obeyed it. It's one thing to study, it's another one to obey. He joyfully obeyed, he willingly obeyed. He set his heart to learn and to obey. This is where genuine spiritual authority comes from. People who love God and love his word speak with God's authority, not their own. People who love God, are called by God, are skilled in God's word, don't have to use cunningness and craftiness to get God's people to do something. I don't have to threaten anyone with something. Let me tell you something. You speak the word of God and his authority, and those who have a heart to hear will hear and obey. We'll teach this last one. For Ezra has set his heart to study the law, to do the law, and then to teach it to all of Israel. I don't want you to miss this. The people of Israel are God's people, not a personal piggy bank. You're God's people. You know, you don't, we, the pastor don't play sport with the congregation. If you ever feel like you're serving the pastor, run for your life. We serve you. It is our job, John's job, and my job to serve you to the best we possibly can under God's grace. 
is renewed us. We should notice, and we should never settle for less. I just touched upon some of the responsibilities of the preacher. We will speak about the content of the preacher the next time I speak, and then we're going to speak about the responsibility of God's people. How to show up and listen to a sermon. How to come here expecting to hear God speak to your heart. How to go home and follow up in that. Let me read that when I get home and, and spend some time in there. Otherwise, it's just religion. Are you tired of religion? Are you tired of just showing up? Because if you're not tired of just showing up, guess what? You'll always just be tired. You'll be blaming someone for your life. You'll be blaming this. You'll be blaming that. Be self-motivated. Come to church ready to hear God's word for you. Spend the week praying for John and myself and whoever's going to preach that you hear the word of God, that the word of God is done. It's challenging at time. I could spend a lot more time on this. I'm not going to. But Father, we thank you. We bless you. We watch over you, Father. You watch over us, Father God. And I thank you for Ezra's example to us, God. An example that Jesus himself followed, that Paul followed, that Paul encouraged Timothy to follow, that he encourages us all who step into the pulpit, who are called to minister before your precious people, your apple of your eye, God, and we're here to serve the people and then not to serve us. God, let this be a praying congregation where the pastors pray and the congregation prays that we have one healthy church in Jesus' name. Amen.